and welcome to episode 60 of the Auto Movie Podcast, the premier podcast on the internet for people who talk about cars in films and on YouTube and TV and all that sort of stuff. Yo dog, I heard you like family, so I put a family in your family, so now you can family while you family. (laughs) I'm Chris Ratcliffe, and as ever, I'm joined by Martin Spain. And there's no prizes for guessing what our review is going to be of today. Yeah, it's amazing. I uh, went to see Fast X, Fast 10, what are we calling it? Fast X. Let's call it Fast X. Um, On Saturday morning, even, because I found myself with an empty Saturday. Family were off doing other things. (laughs) Family, there you go. Drink. And so I was sat in the cinema and I think I texted Chris to say, I'm sitting sitting down to see Fast 10 now. And he said, oh, I'm going to try and see it as well. Um, And then I was texting him. A, a rolling live update of how many times the word family was uttered. I lost count at like 23. I think probably certainly more than 20 times. Um, but yeah, if you were playing a drinking game, it's like they know if you were playing a drinking game, you'd be fairly well hammered by this point. But more on that later. First, let's talk about A, we've got to episode number 60, which I think is fairly impressive for a pokey yep podcast on the internet about (laughs) other things on the internet um but b what's been going on in the news because we've had lots of little back and forth texts but the main one that's caught my eye is that the building work has started at dunsfold aerodrome previously the home of the top gear tv series yeah so i saw this in one of the newspapers that shall not be named so i went looking for some um for some more definitive um, information on it. So for those who don't know, Dunsfold is an ex-Canadian Air Force base, I think. Quite possibly. Um, and it, like lots of RAF bases across um, across Britain, has become part storage, part aerodrome, industrial estate, all this sort of thing. However, in... I think it was 2016, if I remember rightly, some developers were given planning permission to build a housing estate on what is currently the runway and, for us, the Top Gear test track. I saw that there was an update that they started doing some building work. I had a look at the plans. And what it is, the diggers have gone in, don't worry, the, te- the Top Gear test track is still there. They've started building an access road at what they're calling the overshoot. So essentially, if you look at it on Google Maps, where the main runway is, if you carry on that line, it goes off the end of the runway and they are now built a road out to the um, A281, I think it is. Um, reading the comments... There was some speculation that they'd just done this for planning permission reasons, others decrying it as the beginning of the end. Um, the plans themselves are will basically obliterate the site as we know it. They will be next to the businesses that are there. They do mention on their website that um, Gordon Murray Designs have actually got a development building company office at the site now so i don't think it's going to go anywhere anytime too soon but it's also crucially at the other end of the runway from the top gear circuit as we know it well 
let's face it, we have no idea of the actual future of Top Gear, the TV show right now. So they could be wading in there with diggers and going, woohoo, we can build all the houses we want because Top Gear's dead. We have absolutely no idea. And, and the longer it goes on with nothing said, the more I think Top Gear is actually dead. And they will just quietly shuffle it off and do something else. Because I don't know that apart from Hammond being ill post jet crash and needing time to recuperate, I don't think it's been off the screens this long for a very long time. Maybe, I don't know, I can't remember how long it was off on COVID. But, uh, you know, in this case, I feel like no news is bad news, not no news is good news. And if you are a listener of Chris Harris's excellent Collecting Addicts podcast, you'll note that he keeps mentioning temporary jobs and vaguely might need to search for new work and being unemployed all in a jokey tone but i can't help but think you know that's that's not a great sign is it so hey ho, <laughs> we'll see what happens but yes the the iconic circuit um circuit you know there is it's actually really hard to drive if you go and do it on a computer <laughs> game it's really hard to see what's going on but it sounds like it's still there at the moment i did wonder if they do a housing estate whether they'd name some of the street roads after the corners like <laughs> they call it follow through road <laughs> <laughs> so there is currently a public consultation for naming the new access road and if i remember rightly they had something like 248 um suggestions I think 129 of them were duplicates. I think 80 of them met the council naming standards. I suspect follow-through probably didn't make it through. <laughs> yeah, but um, come on. I mean, that'd be so amazing. It would be fantastic. But anyway, let's let's move on from, but, from building yes. work at Dunsfold. Um, I don't know Did whether you-, you saw this trailer in the yes. front of Fast 10, but I saw the Gran Turismo trailer for the yeah. Gran Turismo movie in front of Fast 10 at the cinema. And I saw this trailer online. I can't remember if I, we've talked about it on the pod or not, but... Um, seeing it on the big screen did nothing to diminish the fact that I think this movie's going to suck. And I was thinking about this on the way home and chatting to, um, I think I was talking to my wife, telling her about this this film of Gran Turismo and how it's a, based on a true story, trying to explain why they did it. Mm. Um, and I think some of the things that are going to be wrong with it is that the cameras are placed wrongly for racing. So when you're watching these racing scenes, cameras are in like chase vehicles or they're moving. And we watch so much racing where cameras are fixed position side of the track or they are Mm. on board on the car or maybe they're on a corner on a big arm or a jib. What they're not doing is wobbling all over the place, clearly kind of panning around the car as it's moving, so low that they're on the ground kind of doing hero shots upwards. The camera angles are wrong to make racing look convincing, but that's just for a small subset of nerds like you and I. I don't know if it'll make a difference to the, you know, the real public, but the story is so on the nose cheesy, even though it's real life, the way it's played in the trailer makes it seem like a TV movie. Like a, the kind of thing you'd expect. It's, it's the, it's the car equivalent of a Hallmark rom-com. <laughs> there because are great people in it. I like Orlando Bloom. I like um that guy. Oh, that guy. The the guy yeah. from Stranger Things whose name has eluded me. I'm so sorry. And, and I'm trying to remember the actor's name. Newsroom as well. He was, um, he was very good in Newsroom. It, it, also, on a slight tangent, his house was featured in the I YouTube it, video I for Architectural Digest. I saw it. Yes, everyone saw that. Um, I, surprisingly I, good. But yes, uh, I. I Damn it, that's going to bug me for a long time now. Go and look him up. But also, I, I, yeah, also I'm not don't sure confuse Gran Turismo and Gran Torino because they're two very different films. Very true. David Harbour. David Harbour, that's it. I, 
I like Neil Blomkamp's movies. I think he's he's not had a fair crack of the whip in recent times, but I'm not convinced this is going to be any good. We know some really talented people have worked on this, worked hard on mm. this, and it's an interesting story. It's a great story, but I'm not sure this is going to do it justice. However, proof is in the, the watching. We will go and see it at the cinema when it comes out. But yeah, if you've seen the trailer, you're probably like me going, hmm, not sure yeah. about this. I'm, I'm optimistic. I've got my fingers crossed. I really want it to be good. I want it to look like Gran Turismo. But <laughs> is it going to have some really weird, cheesy Japanese lift muzak when you oh, went like, like for the opening credits? <laughs> is it, gonna- <laughs> it has to. And it has to have like a menu where it goes boom, boom. Yeah, that'd be most amazing. If yeah, I'd like that to be the noises when he's in his in the car turning the little steering wheel settings, and for it to be that would be awesome. But it all looks a bit too cheesy and on the nose for me at the moment. Anyway, let's move on so we don't spend too long in the news. Before we do, I think we are going to see a. uh, I I so I think they're going to have one problem with this, which is they are going to try and replicate the Gran Turismo view. You know that like hovering about eight feet above and behind the car. Yes which has now become really common that people are sticking 360 cams upon arms yes, behind cars. Yes, that's very cars. true. That's very, and very that's true. that's going to make it look a bit cheesy and cheap. Moving on, we have had confirmation that F1 TV, FOM, whichever what do you want to call it, has taken over Monaco TV production from uh, Tele Monaco. This sounds like a really small thing. It isn't. So... In years gone by, so going way, 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 way back, host broadcasters used to create the world feed. So the BBC would do it for the British Grand Prix, Fuji TV would do it for the Japanese Grand Prix, etc. Which is why whenever you watched any of these races where there was a local hero who was trundling around in like 14th <laughs> place, the cameras would mysteriously spend an awful lot of the race watching them trundle around, <laughs> dragging their lack of talent behind them. Definitely. However, in recent years, F1 have started producing the world feed. So it's been the same people, the same cameramen. It's all been much more consistent and frankly, really good. The exception for that has been Telemonaco. If you look at the calendars, you will have, when they build the track, they tend to have something like Formula E, um, Monaco Historic, um, the Grand Prix, any other events within about a three or four week window and Telemonaco film the whole thing. So if you're watching Formula E, it looks like Formula One. If you watch the Monaco Historic, it looks like Formula One because it's the same crew, it's the same camera positions, etc. All the classic ones that you know. The problem is you get things like um was it last year or the year before when something was about to happen and they cut to Lance Stroll coming out of the pits and they just make a few odd calls which are not that bad except that they're up against a really really high standard in f1 so if you're watching the monaco grand prix this weekend depending on when this goes up and it, and you notice that the production is slightly different that will be why it'll Read still be better. the same camera positions it'll still look but the the, the production the continuity should be better. The shot so calling. Let's say, I, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before where they, things were, might have been exciting. Now, that's usually not the case in Monaco because it's dreadfully <laughs> tedious. And, but they just randomly cut to Lance Stroll for no reason and then watched yes. him trundle around the lap. Um, 
Yeah, I'm. I'm it, looking forward to this race simply because we've we've not had Formula One in a little bit. It's the only chance of anyone beating the Red Bull steamroller this year. So yeah. there is possibility. At least Quali might be interesting. The race is never interesting unless it's wet. And the Mercedes side pods, possibly. No, um, I don't think they do that. But anyway, let's let's. We're not a Formula One podcast. Let's move on <laughs> behind that uh, to like the last little bit of news is that the Grand Tour have confirmed that they're doing another special that. Is is going to be coming out on June the 16th. Um, yes. They've been in Eastern Europe, and that's now, about all we know. Now, there is a publicity photo of the three of them standing next to three cars. Can you name any of those cars? I can do one, I think, but I can never remember what it's called. Uh, what's May got? It's beige and I can't remember. Is this Citroen something or other? It looks a bit, looks a bit Mihari, Citroen. maybe. Um, I don't know what. Oh. Earth Clarkson's got something really, really weird. And Hammond has an, a Chevy pickup truck of some kind, some kind of horrible Chevy thing. It I don't know. It is a Chevrolet. It is a Chevrolet. It's... You know, I can tell that because <laughs> there's a massive a Chevy Chevrolet badge on the back. It's a Chevrolet SSR, which, believe it or not, um, you have to Google it because to say it's a Marmite look is doing it a disservice. It's kind of in that Chrysler PT Whoa, Cruiser. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. I've just Googled this. It, it looks like a character from Cars. It does. And you can... I think they sold them in the UK. There's currently a couple for sale for about 22, 23 grand. Wow, that's £21,950 more than I would pay. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, I saw, and I think it's now been sold on Auto Trader, a red F 150 in seemingly decent fettle from the, I mean, it's the, it's the Fast and the Furious Racer's Edge. Um, oh, I know the era. thing, yeah, yeah. Did you see how much it was going for? No. How much do you think know, a... 50 grand? Is this, this, all prices are insane at this point, so... I think it was about 35 grand. Jesus, it's not worth 35 quid in the UK. <laughs> with, our, with our petrol prices and those things, there are people around me that have these giant American pickup trucks, and every now and then you'll see one, and it makes a wonderful burbly V8 noise as it goes past. And you can practically hear oil wells being sucked dry as it <laughs> goes past you. It's terrifying. And they're also massive. They don't fit on our roads. And also, what do you do with a pickup truck? I mean, unless you are, I mean, if you are, if you're genuinely, you know, if you drive a Hilux, you've got a Hilux or an Isuzu or, or a Ford Ranger or something, and you're using it, that's fine. But the, the we don't use. I mean, to be fair, Americans don't use pickup trucks uh, for, for like. There's a few people do, but most Americans that drive them drive them because they make them look. They think they make them look cool and hard. But most people don't use pickup trucks the way they're meant to be. Um, which is with an AK-47, you know, uh, strapped to the back and a bunch of Taliban in it. Um, Fair. Yeah, or, you know, bikes hanging off the tailgate or pallets of bales of straw. I don't know. But you don't see them. They're generally wandering around empty, which makes it feel like, well, you're just dragging around a load of empty air there. Anyway, 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 let's move on to, very briefly, what have you been watching since we last parted? Um, And... I don't mind going first on this one. 
I, 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 sorry, I have to interrupt. There is a Ford 1999 F-150 Ford Lightning Supercharged SVT currently for sale in this country for £20,995 with 87,000 miles. It's in Essex. You've got to really, really love American cars to pay that kind of money for one, especially also, if it's a truck, because they don't... I don't know, maybe they look cool to you, but not for me. It's the kind of thing where you should be able to get them for like 5p in the States. But even that's not true anymore. I know there are YouTubers that have them. Legit Street Cars, I think, has got one of those. Um, but it also looks so underwheeled these days because it's like, it's a mid-90s car. And it's probably on 18s, but it looks like it should be on like 23s these days. Anyway, should we talk about what we've been watching before, yes. I, before I go and accidentally buy a pickup truck? Don't buy a pickup truck. Get divorced. <laughs> so I've been watching, I watched the N24, which was yes. this weekend. Excellent YouTube coverage. Uh, this is how you do live streaming of a race. All on YouTube. They've got the German language channel. They've got English language playlist to show you for the excellent Radio Le Mans commentary. I watched, oh, I watched a bunch of the practice. I watched the quali, and then I watched chunks of the race right up until the Grello car was knocked out because it had a puncture. Um, and then they kind of trundled around a bit and then I lost interest and turned it off because there was a cheaty Ferrari in it. Um, for those of you who are on WhatsApp groups with me will know my opinions on the Ferrari. <laughs> but I very much enjoyed watching Racing Around the Nürburgring again. Um, I have also been watching Tavares's P1 build on YouTube, one of the biggest automotive build channels now because every single mm. video on his p1 has gone over a million views and it's not surprising because no one else is doing this like nobody else has taken something like this on and it's been fascinating to watch simply because you get to see what's underneath the skin of a p1 because it's having to all come bits come to bits i don't think even mclaren with their kind of look at what we've made actually go into the detail of you know, how do you get a battery pack out of a p1 where is the battery pack how is it connected um i've found it really really fascinating i'm i'm i i'm very interested to see how they deal with the engine and uh, the hybrid system how they deal with testing it it was very interesting seeing them pull the battery out with as much safety as you can when you're a youtuber with people yeah. who are expert in pulling electrical systems out of Teslas and, you know, lots of rubber gloves were deployed and all sorts. Uh, and they did some ice blasting to try and get some of the crud off, but there's gonna be, they're going to be rinsing crud out of that thing for years. But Absolutely. I'm really enjoying, you know, the, it's not coming fast enough for me, I imagine, because it takes a lot of time producing these things. There's a lot going on. Uh, but yes, I've been, I've been keeping up with that, really enjoying that. And finally, um, if you're a reader of the intercooler, online the inter- the dash intercooler.com um steve sutcliffe famous autocar journalist posted a an opinion column which is divided opinion i must say uh about the mclaren f1 being an overrated car and i read it and i don't disagree with some of it and then i went and sought out some videos on the f1 uh from youtube and there's a great one from best motoring in fact there's two a couple from uh, the the brilliant best motoring channel where they're doing a road test in period against lots of other very 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 underpowered cars by comparison and they're doing a drag race like they've got a 550 no sorry they've got a 355 Yep. And they've got an NSX, an NSXR first gen, and then they've got some kind of, I don't know if it's a Veilside Super or something like that, which has got a bit yep. more horsepower. And they do drag races between each one of these cars to find the fastest one, and then they put the fastest one against the McLaren F1, which then minces it. 
It is one of the most <laughs> joyous things in the world because they, oh, they think they have, maybe they have a GTR in there as well, which has been done by Mines. Um, Grand Turismo fans will know what I'm talking about. Uh, and yeah, so the, the Supra has got like 600 and something horsepower, quite heavy state of tune for, for that kind of era, mid 90s. And so it wins all the drag races and then they put it up against the McLaren F1, which absolutely slaughters it. <laughs> Imagine how quickly a 911 Turbo would waste like a Mini Cooper. <laughs> this is what it does in 1995 because it's, you know, it's got an astonishing power to weight ratio. And yet you watch it being driven around in the rain, sort of forcibly provoked into skids on a bank circuit. It's kind of terrifying. It, um, that, that stuff on the bank circuit where you could see the car in really extreme pitch and yeah. yaw. My God. I was actually watching. So Fifth Gear have put up the... Do you remember oh, sometime early 2000s, Martin Brundle did a... Um, a Christmas video, like everybody it, did that day, it, like Clarkson used yes. to do, yeah. Martin Brundle in like blue shirt, slacks and a gold chain... Um, he still wears that gold chain, I'm pretty sure. He does. He, he, the opening link, he's on the main straight at um, Alton Park. And he's got behind him, he's got a... Let me see if I can remember them all. Uh, Ferrari F40, Enzo, McLaren F1, a TVR of some sort, a Lamborghini Diablo GT, a Pagani... Um, Zonda F and something else. And he stands in the middle and goes, all these cars behind me are worth nearly three million pounds. <laughs> oh, and how I, things change. Oh, but but there was there was a bit in that. So he drives the McLaren F1 on track. It was, um, I don't know which one it was, but it was a high downforce kit uh, car. And he said the brakes were rubbish in it as well. Um, but he he drives it on the road and it, what he describes as an autumnal English uh, day. So there's mud and rain and leaves on the ground. And it's been dry for a long time, so it's slippy. Yeah. And he nearly drops this McLaren F1 on camera. And this is a racing driver who, like, he drifts an F40 at Alton. I mean, not like Chris Harris sort of drift, but... But you Alton know. is not a place that suffers fools. Harris did it in uh, Anglesey, where there's much broader yes. corners and a little bit more space to play. Alton but, Park is not somewhere where you want to go off. But Brundle does it with that racing driver. You know, he's talking to the camera, just catching slides as he goes. And I think when he when the, the F1 gets squiffy, there's no external camera view, but he does the... Um, it must have been about three quarters of a turn of opposite lock. Yeah. And he he did the Robert De Niro face where he looked like he, he was eating the seat. Yes, it's quite... There's, there's two famous clips of watching F1s get out of shape really quickly. Basically, the gist of Sutcliffe's piece is the F1 has absolutely astonishing engine and the chassis is not up to it and the brakes are crap, which I think a lot of McLaren F1 owners who've had them for any length of time and have driven them with a degree of... of vim and vigor will probably all say yes we agree with that rowan atkinson will probably be nodding in <laughs> <laughs> yes but there are two videos there's this one with brundle where yes he does lose it and there's also one of dickie meaden from again sort of i think 2006 when he drove a reasonably famous mclaren f1 owned by a guy on piston heads called flimke and he is going to wrap it around Bedford Autodrome. And I think the the intro to the clip is like the brakes are crap and the steering's too slow and the chassis is terrible, but the engine's good. Um, and then halfway around the lap, the car goes 
epically sideways at speed and and Dickie Meaden being the legend that he is throws all the opposite lock at it <laughs> and then catches it and then gets the lock off in time to carry on the rest mm. of the lap and get the car straightened up um, it's a brilliant bit of reaction driving absolute shows his class but it also shows you how fast these things snap and how far they go when they do go because it's a reasonably short wheel-based car mm. and that's the thing is it doesn't kind of let go progressively it just goes and there's a big old heavy v12 out the back and when when it's gone it's pretty much gone and you've got to be very quick to catch it so it, yes anyway it really does really does remind you that a p1 a 918 a LaFerrari, they now have such good brakes such good tires but most importantly, such good stability systems. Yeah, you know this. The, uh, and tires that are like rubber bands. Yes, I suspect even Gordon Murray has added stability, stability control to his T dot fifty supercar mm. coming out soon. But anyway, um, what have you been watching before we move on to the review? So, I, I was going to say something, and it's it, it's gone. Um, there was a video I, I watched and it kind of chimes in with something that we talked about a couple of episodes ago. It's from a channel called The Photographer's Eye and it was about why YouTube only shows you certain things and why it doesn't show you more things that you want to see. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to ask you which of these you do. Now, both you and I are YouTube premium subscribers we watch youtube logged in do you do you ever comment on videos do you do it regularly nope do you ever like videos yes a lot yes so if ever- i if i watch something like if i watch an ammo mic video i pretty much always like it if i watch a I don't know, let's think. Tavares videos, definitely. If I watch something like by Matt Armstrong, only if I actually like the video. It's generally like people who are churning out stuff I like all the time, definitely. If it's something I only watch occasionally, less so. So let's say I'm watching uh, Bernard Kerr's um, vlogs, which I do watch. Don't watch all of them. I don't watch all of them all the time. If there's one I like, I will like it. If I'm watching another one and kind of half watching, half not, because it's, you know, maybe he's doing something I'm not that interested in, then maybe not. But most, I do like videos quite a lot. So this all comes down to, we talked in the last episode about how you can show love to channels that you support, how you can help them grow. And things like liking them, subscribing, like, comment, subscribe, is all there because it tells the algorithm that people like the channel. Now, I heard a discussion about this. I think I mentioned it before that the algorithm is sometimes seen as this kind of scary thing of just like, ooh, the algorithm, ooh. But actually, there was a discussion with a Google engineer who said, if you replace algorithm with audience, it starts making more sense because if you make content that people want to watch, then the audience are responding to your channel. And I was like, okay, yeah, kind of makes sense. What happens the other way is I sometimes go through my feed and I'm like, why are you suggesting this to me? There is stuff that I like that gets suggested. There is stuff that I'm just like, what's this got to do with anything? And there are certain markers that we can influence as viewers to help YouTube personalise our feed to us. Now, the one 
that was highlighted. And this is one that I don't know if you do. I've done this very, very sparingly. But if you go to YouTube, pick a video, any video, and tap the three little dots next to the title, it gives you certain options like save to playlist, download, share. And further down, it says not interested, don't recommend channel, and report. Now, report is for copyright infringement or, you know, offensive content or stuff like that. But I don't think I've ever said to YouTube that I'm not interested in a certain video or a certain channel. I did not know those things were there. In fact, I don't think those have always been there. No. They seem like relatively new things. I did know that you could get a little contextual menu. I don't things I don't use the queue, the watch later. I don't use playlists. I don't download videos. I very rarely use a share control on any website because I just grab the URL and paste it somewhere else, yep, which is what all sane human beings do. <laughs> so there are certain things that, that you can do and that will cause YouTube to recommend some, some things to you higher up. So for example, if you always watch the latest Tavarish video as soon as it comes out, when a new one comes out, it will always be there top left in your feed because it recognises mm. how frequently you watch it. If you watch multiple videos, either on a certain topic or from a certain creator, one of the things that YouTube tracks is um, essentially how long has somebody stayed on their site? So... If you kind of go, okay, I like this creator. Oh, okay, you know, let, let's say it's MOMYC. And maybe it's something that you've done before, you know, videos you've watched before. Maybe it's new new content, but you go, oh, yeah, I'll watch that. Oh, he's also done a, a detail on this. I'll, I'll watch that. When you start watching videos in a row, that sends a really strong signal to YouTube that you like that, that creator. If you're Googling for... Um, you know, where to go on holiday or how to fix your washing machine. Once you've watched a few videos on a certain topic, YouTube will pick that up and go, oh, you must be interested in this. Here's more content. And this is why you can sometimes get down that rabbit hole. And people have done it in studies where if you start watching one video about conspiracy theory or a certain political view or something like that, YouTube starts going, oh, you want more. And then it kind of pushes you, you down that rabbit hole. But if you want to better improve your feed, the best three things you can do, number one, interact with those those videos and those creators that you like. Subscribe, because then that shows that you are more invested in those than the videos that you don't like. And, sec and thirdly, click those three dots, look at those things, and tell it what you don't like as much as what you do like. So if YouTube knows that you don't like certain topics, certain creators, certain things, it will avoid showing you those in the future because it just wants you to watch more videos, watch more adverts, <laughs> and it wants to keep you on the site. So if you're not interested in photography, don't go watch the video. For a lot of people, the content is kind of fairly generic, but it was kind of made me start thinking how to actually make it a better experience on YouTube. And I'm going to be kind of now watching what like, what comes up and I'm just like, how can I influence this? What, you know, what new witchcraft is this? So yeah, have a play and tell you what, in a couple of episodes, why don't 
you and I both share our experiences. I'll see how it goes. I think they've obviously hidden some of that stuff behind a menu because they don't want that many people knowing about it. So they can't then just bomb videos. You know, like they, they remove the dislike button or they, they or rather they stop <sighs> showing um, how many people have clicked the, the, the thumbs down thing in a way to stop people from like trying to ruin by mm. review bombing, um, you know, a video that might be controversial or might, you know, state an opinion that lots of stupid nerds on the internet don't agree with. And this mm. feels a teeny bit like the same, but yeah, I'll give it a shot. Um, now I know it's there and we'll see how it goes. But we should, no, we should talk about Fast 10 because it's just so ridiculous. We should add, Chris and I have not spoken about this movie since no. seeing it. Deliberately we, we, so. So, um, yeah, we, we really need to get to it. What were you going to say? Why don't you start with somehow trying to describe the plot of Fast X? <laughs> oh, that's just a hospital pass and a half, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Right. Um, yes. So, you remember how much we all liked Fast Five? <laughs> Well, this movie opens with big chunks of Fast Five to remind us of how much we loved Fast Five. Um, only there is a twist. The uh, the guy who owned all the, the bank that they robbed, the, the drug kingpin, um, who is the bad guy from one of the older James Bond movies, I think one of the Dalton movies, um, his character name is Hernan Reyes, and he's played by a very, very famous um, like bad guy actor. He's in everything. Um it turns out that he had a son who was just off screen during all of the events of Fast Five. Just off screen. You never see him, but he's right there. And so when the Fast crew killed the baddie drug kingpin, um, the guy who, who's off screen, the son, is pretty furious. And when that guy is played by Jason Momoa and is called Dante, then you know shit's about to get real. Um, so Dante Reyes, son of Rio kingpin Hernan Reyes, has basically spent I don't know, the last 15 years since Fast Five, plotting revenge on Dominic Toretto and his family for killing his father (laughs) and stealing all that money. He then has the most absurd plan to make all of Dom's friends and Dom himself suffer for what they've done. And as absurd plans go, um, do you remember when you were watching the otherwise excellent movie Skyfall where the bad guy in that movie had the most absurd plan that relied on such coincidence (laughs) and unbelievably perfect timing in order for it to work. This is like that, but cubed. It's (laughs) so, so crazy. But basically, yeah, um, they've retconned the fact that the bad guy from Fast Five, the movie we all love the most, and the one that kind of sent this franchise into the stratosphere um had a <laughs> son in cases. yes and the son is unhappy that they killed his dad using a car um to the head <laughs> <laughs> and so he's come for dom and his family um using some unbelievably contrived scenarios to make the family suffer that probably covers the setup right i don't think i need to go into the whole thing chris has said he doesn't want any spoilers in this movie um which is weird because i really want to talk about spoilers like really really do we may have to do a bit at the end where we tell everyone to go away if you don't want spoilers (laughs) and talk about the really stupidly spoilery stuff that that's that's a good idea so i i so right what did you think to it spoiler free spoiler free i thought it was absolutely 
batshit. <laughs> and yep. I was... Like, there were moments where I had my head in my hands at how unbelievably stupid it was. Um, and how Vin Diesel appears to be in an entirely different headspace to everybody else in this movie. He's he's trying hard to make that baked potato emote during some of these scenes. And he's in this movie a lot. Mm. Um, Nobody were, there has were, there... ever said, let's make the King of the Potato People the emotional core of this movie. This is that- why, I mean, one of the things I remember thinking early on, and it's no spoiler to say this, this starts with bits from, from Fast Five because Fast Five is is what they're trying to recreate here, really. Um, and I was watching it and just any time Paul Walker was on the screen, I was just like, oh, this, this franchise misses Paul Walker so oh, yes. much. The yep. audience surrogate, the guy with the permagrin on his face, the guy who knows how cool the shit they're doing is and would almost wink to the camera at some points with like, can you believe we're doing this shit? It's amazing. <laughs> I I missed he just he's such a they've been trying to fill that hole with more and more stars and more and more absurdist action and it it just hasn't really worked that said Mm. like i said i thought this was batshit i had my head in my hands at moments of silliness but i was still watching it i was still laughing i was still engaged i'm still want to see what happens to these characters Mm. some characters more than others um i don't think it's a spoiler to say this is part one of two possibly now three movies and i'm reasonably certain that we won't see the the next fast movie for at least another year and a bit i'm not sure if they filmed these back to back or not i'm I'm not really clear on that and i couldn't find out in the very very quick googling i did but this movie does not have like a, a a straight end it ends on a cliffhanger it is mm. it's, it's it's very much like tune in next week except not next <laughs> week it's like Tune in in 2025. Um, They're really putting a lot of faith in the fact that we care about these characters enough to wait that long. So, yes, I enjoyed it, but it was so unbelievably stupid. More stupid than any of the other movies. And Mm. the plot and the, the, the... The machinations they take to get people to, to places... Um the constant use of the word family, the, the the script that is so on the nose, it takes being on the nose to new levels of being <laughs> on the nose. The, the the token street race that has, that's like, it's like it's been filmed by Michael Bay where it's just, here are a bunch of strippers asses uh, and, you know, cars with neon underneath them because we feel we have to have this bit where Dom comes out and everyone's on Dom's side. Um, there are bits that make no sense there are bits with some dreadful cg in it um Mm. there's a sort of car chase and i don't know destruction derby through through rome uh and there's there's a couple of bits of just really really substandard cg in a movie that's otherwise pretty well rendered it it really took me out of the film um there is like so much collateral damage that is is kind of hand waved away there's a moment where dom is trying to protect a family from being a family from being <laughs> incinerated. And the way he thinks is the best way to do this is to drive his car through the restaurant that they're in. Um, mm. <laughs> it's just, like I said, it's absolutely ridiculous, but it is also, it's kind of brilliant with its ridiculousness. I have no idea how this is coherent given that the original director and I think writer of a lot of this, Justin Lin, I think must've just got onto set and gone, hang on a minute. <laughs> this is absolutely fucking stupid. 
I, I have no idea what's going on. I, I'm just, and he just walks off. That's it. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. It's like, you know, in um, Return of the Jedi, when Luke goes back to Yoda and Yoda's kind of tired and Luke just pesters him with questions until Yoda's like, no, I've had enough. I'm just going to die. <laughs> It's the only way to get Luke to stop asking questions. Do you ever feel like that with with any small child? <laughs> That's what happens. But yeah, you know, it's like that. But Justin was just like, I don't know how the hell hands back. I don't know what the hell, what, what has happened? So if you haven't seen, let's say, Fast 9, Fast 9, without revealing too many spoilers, has a character played by John Cena who turns out to be Dominic's secret brother, Jacob. Mm. and he's the bad guy and he's (laughs) super bad (laughs) because of some plot he's super bad and he's the bad guy in this movie they have completely replaced his personality so that he is now a good guy and super worshipful of dom and it's like vin diesel basically wrote the lines where he's like i so much look up to my brother dom i wish i could step out of his shadow (laughs) but then there's a there's like whole chunks of the movie where he's with uh dom's son uh, Brian, which is still weird to me, but they call him Little B. And I want to see that movie. It's like a road movie where John Cena is being awesome and fun and cool and having this sort of mismatched buddy comedy with like a nine-year-old kid. It is brilliant, and I wanted more of that. I could have had a whole movie spin-off of that, like they did with Hobbs and Shaw. (laughs) But he has a completely different personality than before. Speaking of different personalities, obviously Fast 9 retconned the fact that Han didn't die at the end of Tokyo Drift, even though we were told in Fast 7 or the end of Fast 6, I forget which now, I'm starting to lose track, that Justin, <laughs> so that Jason Statham killed him. It turns out that actually Jason Statham didn't kill him. This is all a plan by Kurt Russell's Mr. Nobody, who magicked Han back to life or something. They don't explain it. They just sort of hand wave it away, which is what they do with a lot of the physics in this movie. Well, yes. But anyway, Han in this movie is just sort of this listless presence. He's got nothing to do. He has, you know, he kind of wheels an alpha around in Rome for a bit, but doesn't get to do a great deal. And for the rest of the movie, he just sort of walks from place to place with other people not having anything to do. And he was previously the coolest mofo in the whole team. He'd just go off, do things, snack, and toss out kind of Jedi-like Bon Mots. And now (laughs) he's sort of reduced to this sad sack moping around looking at his Tinder profile. It's just... They've got too many characters to service, right? They've got too many things going on. They can't do them all justice. And, you know, Han falls by the wayside. They randomly replace Jacob's personality with a different one. The Stath is in this, but has kind of... Because, again, he was a bad guy, and then he turned out to be a good guy, and then he did a spin-off with with Luke Hobbs, um, even though he didn't want to work with Hobbs, and then now he's back helping out the family after punching Han in the face. It's just... I mean, there's so much retconning in this, but as a cinematic experience, especially if you're kind of invested in these movies, which I am, and a lot of people will be, it's still a terrible lot of fun. I mean, the best way I can put it about how crazy stupid this movie is and how, how absolutely batshit it is. I came out of the cinema at about half past two in the afternoon and it was a sunny afternoon. And I walked out to go back to the car park and I was crossing the road and I looked over and went, why are none of these cars on fire? What, why isn't there a bomb rolling down the road here? So do you remember, and this is going to be a reference for those of us who grew up in the 90s. Do you remember the episode of Friends where they got free porn? 
where no. Joey and Chandler had free porn. They, their cable set broke and they suddenly just had porn on it. <laughs> and Oh, God, yes. And yes. they were watching all this porn and all of the friends were watching the porn. And then all of a sudden they started seeing porn everywhere. Like they, they, they had a man delivering the pizza and they go, but he didn't invite you in for some kind of extra. <laughs> and they, they, they kind of go... I think I've been watching too much porn <laughs> because they're just seeing porn scenarios everywhere in real life when they're not actually happening. I had that with Fast where I came out and went, why are all these cars driving so slowly? Why are none of them on fire? Why hasn't that building exploded because a bomb's gone smashing through it? Where, why isn't there a black charger on two wheels running along the road? Everyone was driving really slowly and sensibly and it was very, very dull. And that's what that movie did to me. Anyway, I've talked for long enough. What did you think? I I must admit I came to this thinking I can't remember Fast Nine. I can't I can remember some bits of some episodes and like when they start with the vault you kind of go oh yeah I remember the vault. That's Fast and Five. I I just like people keep popping up in it. So here, here's the thing. Yes, they do. They really do. Like, Charlie's there on Cypher, who's been in two movies now, just kind of turns up and you're like, oh, it's the Atomic Blonde. I like yeah. her. Not in this movie, but I like her. <laughs> oh, it's Helen Mirrams here, because just to remind you that... She... Right. So, I remember the first time I watched Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, which is a film that only exists for fans of four other films to go, look, remember this thing? Oh, yeah. In-joke, in-joke, in-joke. Remember this thing? Oh, yeah, and there's this thing. Oh, and it does also feature a sequel to Good Will Hunting with the best title <laughs> for a sequel ever. Good Will Hunting 2, Hunting Season. Reason. <laughs> Applesauce, bitch. Um, so I, I went in with this, not remembering much about anything. And it doesn't matter. It, if you've never seen one of these before, if you know the rough premise, you will get it. They've, they're have they very good at that. There are a few things that I did notice. Number one, Jason Momoa is having the best time. He, he is. He's playing this kind of movie. gay icon baddie. He keeps calling Dom, Dommy. Oh, Dommy! <laughs> Which is very, very strange. I mean, he, he has the most crazy wardrobe for a fast movie, which, let's face it, these are on the side of unbelievably hetero, kind of like, we're all slightly gay panic about the whole thing. And he's wandering <laughs> along, you know, with he's got nail polish on, he's wearing flamboyant clothing. He's, Day I mean, he's obviously... Yeah, he's having a great time. Is he a good bad guy? I don't know. There's a there's, somebody described him as having real Joker energy, and not like <sighs> Heath Ledger or Jack Nicholson, but like the Caesar Romero from the Batman TV series, who's yes. just crazy you, you know, and camp, so, and nothing makes sense, but he delights in it. So there's one scene early on where he goes into a room, and everybody points guns at him. And he acts like it just doesn't matter because he knows everything is going to go his way. And it does. And he just plays it with such nonchalance and such um, a, a kind of, I don't want to say like a wry smile, but it's all just a game to him. But the dialogue, he inhabits the dialogue so well that it just sort of fits and he can he can do that thing where he is simultaneously the most villainous person in the film and 
not lighthearted in a jokey way, but he has personality. He inhabits his lines. It does feel like a film of like four different films. It does. It's been crammed so, together, and it's, the the kind of the bending over backwards to to make all of this plot machination work is yeah. is crazy. The thing but, I would say about Jason Momoa is he, he's he's brilliant in some scenes when he's. When he's going after Dom, it's just total energy mismatch because mm. Vin Diesel just sort of sucks all the life out of those scenes. And Vin Diesel can be, when he's used correctly, a fantastic actor. And he's been great in these movies. But as they go on, he seems to take the mythology of this more and more and more seriously and kind of forgets to have fun with them. And well, every time he's talking about, you know, every time, I love you, son. I love my oh. family. Ah, oh, it's just so leaden and and crap and it just makes the whole movie sink but also you remember the first film i think there's a clip in it of this just to remember this because they keep showing clips and there's like there's one scene where he goes into a room and there's just clips of other bits of the films to kind of remind you of his mythology oh that's true his garage is full of photographs some of which he could never have got (laughs) yes but remember like the first time in the first film when brian goes to the street race and dom is just the center of attention and everybody loves him and he's kind of got his arms out wide and he's charismatic and he's like you got me you never had your car you know all of that sort of stuff the bravado being that sent that kind of moral center where he's just like he's keeping everybody else in check now it's like you know okay uh, mr diesel uh, for this next scene what we'd like you to do is look out of a window pensively and think about how important this is to you and action and he just kind of he looks over his shoulder it smells of fast acting we're back to it, friends again oh, it really is but <laughs> but and, and then so you've got you've got him emoting which he can't do Anything that he involves can, Lottie. just not here, uh, Letty. Anything with Letty. Anything with Letty. The dialogue, if you go back and watch it again, and I'm sure we will, if you go back and watch it again, every single conversation she has is, is like, Letty, I hope you're ready. I was born ready. Everything. She just talks in cliches the whole time. You then go to Roman and Ludacris and Han, and they're in somewhere else. And they have a completely different language. They're just having a banter and a chat with amongst themselves. And that feels really different. Then you go to John Cena, who... He's a I, different character. He is just a different he, character. He's like, we, we've just decided that he's a good guy now and he's Dom's brother and we needed to have somebody to look after, you know, Dom's son. And, and so we're going to have a road trip and he's going to be awesome and he's going to have a shit car and shit music and he's going to be awesome. It's it's just a weird character. It, doesn't it is. It doesn't make any. It doesn't else. make any sense. Like of all the retconning they've done, this might be the most egregious bit of what? What the? I mean, <laughs> who cares? You know, like you say, you don't need to have seen all the other things, and it's almost like you know what? You should have just not bothered. You should have just done done all of this stuff and gone. No, we don't know why either, but it's all fun. We had a great time shooting this, and now you get to watch all of this crazy stuff blow up. But I, there was I, a, a sort of for me, there was a lack of because this is now almost like city leveling scales of destruction oh, there was God. an actual lack of like fun car stuff in this movie mm. um because it, it, everything has to be so huge and insanely large that you don't get the fun of them doing a car, like a regular vanilla old car chase i i disagree with that so i i think it's kind of built on 
a series of car-based set pieces. Car-based, but yes, not... Which, and, 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 I mean, it is ludicrous. I mean, you're right, they, they kind of amp and amp and amp and amp and amp. So, you know, you get Dom, like, the, the, the charger that is almost like, it's like the Bluesmobile. It, it's this mythical thing which, it can be dropped, it can be submerged, it can, <laughs> it can be blown by a, a small it can thermonuclear device anything. and also, bounce. But did you notice it's got two sets of calipers on the rear brakes? Because <laughs> I did. I definitely I did. went, oh, is one of those the handbrake? Or is that, like, double caliper? Oh, like a Maybach. That's got to be a. Uh, and they're, they're definitely. Bit. I'm fairly sure they're also like big Brembo. So, you know, hopefully Brembo got a bit of, you know, they, they paid a bit of money for that, that little shout yeah. out. Because there's definitely a camera angle to be like, oh, those are nice Brembos on the back there. I, I, I do hope <laughs> that the next film ties some of these together and it starts to. I'm not going to say it's going to make sense. But I'll make sense of this one at least. Try and tie some of this together for sure. Um, I, I, I do I, wish though that this film was either a hundred minutes and they'd chop some of the plots out, or just they'd just been tighter with it and gone. You know what? We can't maintain four or five different plot lines because they just jar against each other. Yeah, and it wants to be Ocean's Eleven. It needs. That in, whenever you watch the Ocean's Eleven, uh, Ocean's films, and I, I do love them, you know, you've got these kind of moral centres. You've got the people that keep the group together, and then you've got the specialists around the outside. And even like the first, everything fast, points fast to something. Everything has a logical conclusion. You know, the people going to do the things are doing them for logical reasons. Um, yeah. In in the Ocean's movies, whereas this, it does, it just it flip flops about too much. Like there'll be time when you go, oh, it's these two people I'm I'm watching a scene with now, but I don't want to because I was more interested in what was going on in that previous scene. And now, you know, the movie, yeah. the pacing is just weird. And yeah, I, you know what? I, I think there was interviews out there with Louis Leterrier where he said he kind of he he treated this like a TV series where he got like a board and covered it with coloured post it notes to denote who, <laughs> you know, which storyline he was paying attention to here, and just kind of looked at it on average and went. Oh, we're not paying enough attention to this storyline, so we'll put that in there. And you, you do wonder if you hadn't just gone. Do we need that at all? There are just too many characters. If you count the, you know, there's the characters they have. They've got Jason Statham. Um, they've got Vin Diesel. They have Michelle Rodriguez. They've got um, Ludacris. They've got um, Sun Kang. They've got. Um, Charlie Theron, Jason Momoa. You know, these are big plot things mm. you could john cena they, there's Brie just this yeah Brie Larson's in it like and i don't want to just be re- reductive and go captain marvel's in it but you know she's great <laughs> but she's not given a lot to do and what she is given to do is just fucking silly and, and and unnecessary to be honest we didn't need her character we don't need scott eastwood's little nobody character which oh, has a oh. terrible name speaking of which there was a moment and i got my phone out in a cinema Lord strike me down. There's a moment where Scott Eastwood, what was that awful film he was in that we reviewed before? I can't remember. doesn't matter. Anyway, at one point he kind of, he's standing in front of these virtual screens, which again, I think are just showing clips of the previous films as evidence for, for what they're doing. And he goes, how did we let this go on so long? And I'm like, Yes, that's a meta yes. statement. For, that's a meta statement for the franchise. Uh, I, 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 I don't will, know. Yeah, I will this say, is the thing. They've 
they're chasing diminishing returns here. The reason everyone loved Fast Five was it was just batshit enough and it was the novelty of Dwayne Johnson being in there and his character being a breath of fresh air. And then yes. you had another movie with him, which was uh, all right. And then the reason Fast Seven blew up was Paul Walker died. There was a sort of, mm. there's a slight morbid fascination plus a love for, a genuine, genuine love for the character from all the fans of the movie series that wanted yep. to see him how they gave him a send-off. And they did. They gave him a tremendous send-off. And and if you go and look on the internet for how on earth they managed to achieve what they did with that movie, go and look at how many times they had to replace, do facial replacement for Paul Walker with his his brothers as stand-ins and, and marvel that they got anything coherent out of the movie at all. It's fantastic. Mm. And that is why that went over a billion and they've been chasing that high ever since and they can't get it because they don't have Paul Walker. Yeah, it's true. They don't have that emotional center and you just for all that Vin Diesel thinks he's the star of these movies and the more power he gets as executive producer obviously the more seriousness he gives him himself and the lines and so on and the the, the duller they become. Now, you know, we've we've ragged on this a bit. I still enjoyed it a lot this cost me eight pounds and i definitely got eight pounds of enjoyment out of you know my movie ticket and and whatever it was two and a bit hours in the cinema did you see it on a regular screen uh yeah i didn't see it in imax or anything the uh the my local cinema is nicely sized not too busy but it's not an imax so my local cinema that i went to to see this is currently showing fast and furious in Standard, IMAX, 4DX, and ScreenX. And I don't even know what ScreenX is. Me neither. Isn't that what you use to stop rain from getting on your rear window? <laughs> That's RainX. Uh-huh. I, I watched it in IMAX. and Did it actually make use of that format? Or are they just going, it's a bit bigger? Is it kind of like that dirty, <sighs> cheating IMAX? Or is it genuine Christopher Nolan-style IMAX? I suspect it's dirty, cheating IMAX. It does... One thing it did highlight is the 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 way that they treat the audio so there's one bit early on um which I, I, uh, the first time you see charlie's theron's character is at dom's door and he does this thing where he like he basically kind of pins her against this wall and he slams his hand into the wall behind her and there was an almighty boom that went through the auditorium because they just amped the stereo up that much it was like when i went to see um uh ford versus ferrari also in imax and i think the visuals work better but it was the sound it was that feeling of just being enveloped by the film um, Screen X apparently is a panoramic film format which presents films in an expanded dual-sided 270 degree screen projected on the walls in a theatre I now want to go and see Fast X just oh my in- god that's too much for my eyeballs to take in it, I'm afraid it would be- that's too so, much right it looks a bit like I don't know if you can see that on the okay. webcam oh great yeah okay yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean so an IMAX ticket for this was uh, 15, 16 pounds yeah and I think if you go in and watch it as a spectacle, if you go in and watch it with the knowledge and the history of the franchise, if you want to go and watch it nostalgically, if you just want to go and watch the big crashy explosiony things, it 
absolutely works. Mark Kermode, and I know some film reviewers have been sniffy about this. But I think Mark Kermode's was very balanced for what it actually was. He basically went, the film goes like this. Bang, crash, bang, crash, bang, 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 crash, crash. Family. Bang, 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 <laughs> crash, bang, crash. Oh, they're in it. Bang, crash, bang, crash. The end credits. That's basically how the film goes. And if you go with that level of expectation, go and just enjoy it. Just go and take the brain out. Enjoy the special effects. I, I, I shared a, an Instagram reel with you earlier with one of the helicopter pilots. Is it Fred North who, yeah, who did yeah. the hill? The amount of stuff that they do for real... I mean, some of the stuff they do for not real, blimey. But some of the stuff they do for real doesn't look real. Like that, the helicopter stunt <laughs> yes. is incredible, but I'm trying to remember in the movie, did I actually believe that that shot was real? Mm. But yeah, they've, they've done some absolutely astonishing things. And, um, you know, the, the vehicular mayhem is strong in this one. I thoroughly it enjoyed it. Right, let's let's cut. There are a few spoilery things that we probably want to talk about. So if you haven't yes. seen this movie and you don't want to be spoiled, you need to skip ahead by like five minutes in three, two, one. <laughs> so the end spoilers. thingies. Spoilers. Spoiler heavy. If you don't like spoilers, go away. I was watching yes. the start of the movie thinking, I wonder how they're going to get Gal Gadot back in this. And the last shot of the movie <sighs> is Gal Gadot in a submarine. <laughs> Because, of course, her character is a qualified submarine commander. Because, of course, she is. That, that, was, that was the moment where I just sort of went... Yeah. Again, it's that Jane Silent Bob thing where, you know, when Mark Hamill first comes on screen and it just goes, hey, kids, it's Mark it's, Hamill. Yeah. You now, don't get just- me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I was overjoyed to see her because she had great chemistry with Han. You know they're looking to get them back together. That's going to be an <laughs> awesome scene that I am hundred percent on board for. Um, I'm, I'm really like I was really, really happy to see her there. And then other big, big, fat, big, big spoiler. There is a mid-credit sting because you know every mm. big movie has to have a mid-credit sting. Um, where, to the surprise of everyone, I think. Yes. Dwayne Johnson turns up, even though he has stated beef with Vin Diesel, called him a candy ass and refused to appear in Fast 8 and Fast 9. But the his um, Luke the family Hobbs is back. Yeah, has, has made a return because, of course, he was also involved in Fast 5 and helping Dom to kill the, the naughty drug kingpin dude with a car to the face. <laughs> um, and so... Jason Momoa's character, Dante, has got beef with him too. And he makes Mm. a telephone call and says, I'm coming for you too. And then you're watching Luke Hobbs hold a telephone in his mighty paw. And everyone in the (laughs) cinema is going, he's going to crush that phone, isn't he? He's going to crush it. He's going to crunch. There he goes. He's crushed the phone. (laughs) What what was the most unrealistic moment or scene for you? Because I've got two in mind. Oh, the bit where the... uh, I forget what, mate. It was a, it's, a, it's a Dodge Charger that Dom's driving in. Um, it's a grey, slightly more modern Charger that he's driving mm. in Rome, yeah? When yeah. it goes down the steps backwards, it's the most yes. dreadful <laughs> bit of vehicular CG I've ever seen. It looks... Doing, doing a J-turn on the Spanish steps. Yeah, well, the thing is, people have driven down steps in movies really, really well. Look at any of the Mission movies. One of the things that this movie suffered for was the fact that I saw the trailer for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 before it, yep. which has... It is is going to 
change the standard of movie stunts in the way that all the mission movies do. The action is clean, it's clinical, it, you can see everything that's going on and you know they did it for real. You just know, mm. if they haven't told you, just assume they did it for real. And you, you kind of, lots of this stuff, I'm sure they did for real. I know it's CG enhanced, but that shot of the car going down, why can't you just drive a car backwards down the steps? Maybe those Did steps you... are really, really precious, but I, the well, CG in that section was absolutely appalling. Yeah, so Maybe... you you cannot do what they did to the Spanish steps. I mean, they are one of the treasures of Rome. But there was even one bit where I've they go been further there. down. They were rubbish. Um, I've been to Rome twice. I didn't enjoy it either time. Sorry, people. <laughs> there are other bits of your country I like a lot more than Rome. The the only Roman you liked in this was Roman Pierce. There is one bit where <laughs> he's driving like down. <laughs> Um, where where the bomb is going towards like a lady and a child, and Dom kind of steers the car and like taps it away from. <laughs> because of course but, he does. Because of, of course, course he, he does. does. I the bit that got me was where he's got two helicopters, um, and he uses the, the power of a car and nitrous to overcome the lift of two helicopters, and he was and crash like, them into one another. But also, My they're, lifting the back, they're lifting the back wheels off the ground, and he's so he still no wrestling traction. the steering, as though, like, <laughs> if he can just steer in the right direction, it'll somehow overcome the helicopter. Somehow, yes, it will. It'll make the car heavier, because that's what happens. <laughs> like I said, this is so absurd, but I think it actually goes out beyond absurd, where you go, no, this is rubbish, this is rubbish. This is actually quite good. This is brilliant. <laughs> And depending on how long you stick with it, it kind of just goes round that circle and then it'll go back through brilliant and back to rubbish and then back through, you know, you're back round to brilliant again. So I don't, honestly, would I see this again in the cinema? Yes, I probably would because it was so crazy. It's almost like a comedy at this point. I, I, I do think I there think, will be articles and videos in years to come where people go, they will start picking the Easter eggs or the nostalgic bits out of, and this is how this character gets from here to here. And you'll be kind of like, okay, that was quite clever, but not as clever as when the bomb goes off and you see the shockwave across, across Rome and you think some VFX artist has done actual wizardry on some of those shots because the VFX, uh, car physics aside, were really impressive. Yeah, yeah, no, no question. Should you go and see this movie in the cinema? If you like the fast movies, if you like big, dumb action movies, absolutely, you should yep. see this movie because it is the biggest, dumbest action movie of the year. And you've just got to see how ridiculous it is. It's like we can't do justice to how unbelievably convoluted and silly the plot is <laughs> and how unbelievably convoluted and silly, uh, you know, the, the bad guy's dastardly plan is. You just have to go and see it for yourself. It's... Yep. So bonkers, but I am going to say I recommend you see this movie, almost even if you don't like fast movies, because then you can just be sniffy about it for the whole time and laugh. That's that's very true. That's very so, true. So yes, um, I I thoroughly enjoyed it, even though it was unbelievably stupid. Uh, it sounds like you did too. Um, yep. So there you go, Fast X, a recommendation, and we look forward to seeing what Fast Eleven is going to be, um, which will probably come out at the cinema. Be Fast. I, I, and everyone go, fast two? And it fast will be two. far too good. No, I don't know. Fast ten your seatbelts was the pun they missed out this time. Oh. oh that's not that mine. Is... I've seen that. I've seen that on the internet. I can't claim that one. <laughs> I'm sorry. That, that, that would have been amazing. That would have been amazing. Right, let's right, move on uh, to, uh, what, we, uh, what, we, wait, what are we doing? What's, ah, 
What's Henry Patchell been up to? <laughs> you haven't I, got, totally you haven't got forgot to fast to writers, have you? No, I've got crazy. No, uh, what has Henry been doing? Well, he's been driving uh, an absolutely batshit insane car. He's been driving the McMurtry Spearling fan car. Uh, if you watched the Goodwood Festival of Speed last year, you'll have seen this tiny little black missile hurtle up the hill in the hands mm. of XF1 and IndyCar ace Max Chilton at an unbelievable speed. Like, uh, it broke the hill climb record at the Goodwood Festival of Speed by nearly two seconds, which was previously set by um, Ickle Nick Heidfeld in 1999 <laughs> in a McLaren Formula One car. And that was a famous, famous run because the car just wanted to throw itself into the scenery at every opportunity. He he wrestled that thing and it was the last time full bore timed runs were allowed for Formula One mm. machinery because that run was so sketchy. And, and that McLaren, was done in did McLaren, 41... did McLaren put a bit too much effort into it as well? They did, and which is why I think um, then Lord March uh, decided that better to err on the side of safety and not allow them to be timed and encourage them to go up and do big fat burnouts instead. And that record of 41.6 seconds has stood from 99 up until last year when it was taken by the McMurtry Spearling fan car, which did it in under 39 seconds. Absolutely incredible run. And it throws dust up in the air behind it because it's got a pair of fans <laughs> that suck it to the ground. It's crazy. It's like a tiny, tiny, tiny Batmobile. It's really like a like a, a one-fifth scale Batmobile. It's insane. Yep. And Henry drives it on a, basically, it's just a big old flat thing that they've laid some cones out and gone, these are some corners from Silverstone. You can go around them really, really, really fast. And Henry does until he feels sick. And then he does 0 to 60 to 0 again in like less than five seconds. Um, and then does 0 to 60 in 1.3 seconds and looks as ill as I've ever seen someone driving a car. <laughs> it's I, I, such a restrained review because it's clear that it's very, very rare that automotive journalists are lost for words and are almost overcome by what a car is capable of. You see it sometimes when they drive race cars. What put me in mind of this was watching when Porsche allowed all the the sort of top-line journalists with race experience to drive the 919 hybrid when they retired that race program. And they drove all of that around Portimao and every one of them had a chance to try and stretch its legs. And you could see they were all like almost behind the car and they were at their limit, but not the car's limit. And this felt a lot like that where the capabilities of this car are so far in excess of what normal humans are used to that it just sort of puts you out of sorts. And and Henry's very much out of sorts for a chunk of this video because the car is so astonishing. And it's a wonderfully honest portrayal of what it must be like to drive one of these things. <laughs> um, and it's sort of, it's the review intercut with Henry afterwards explaining some of the things that are going on in the review uh, because quite clearly, I think it sort of scrambled his mind a bit. It's wonderful to, that he, he's happy to put that out there because it really does show the capabilities of the car. It's so insanely fast that it will do this to a, a, a rational, eloquent human <laughs> being. Um, it's a brilliant, brilliant video and you should watch it. You should watch all the Haggerty stuff with Henry anyway, but this one is just... Oh, it's, I mean, it doesn't make me want one because I don't think I'd want to be that uncomfortable driving a car. It (laughs) makes me kind of want to see, to to be at a track day when someone brings this along to it and, you know, everyone else is there and they're McLaren Senna. You know, if you go to like a big, a big no limits, um, no noise limit track day at Silverstone um, where they've got people in cup cars and and annoying people who are doing race testing and then some rich dude wheels (laughs) this thing out and smokes them all. 
I'd love to see that. Would I want to drive one? No, I'm fairly sure I'd barf after the first corner. <laughs> I see. I think the thing that got me about it was I've seen enough YouTube videos of whooping, hollering influencers where I, I always come back to the Senna launch at Silverstone where there were people going, oh my God, wow, I can't, oh, there, there isn't the words. Oh, woo, ah, ee. and he's just like, words, talk, <laughs> put me in the seat. And then J.R. Hildebrand came up with one of the, what I think is one of the best bits of automotive writing. Oh yeah, that's a great, uh, great bit of writing. He, he, he's, he's like, and this is what happens when you accelerate, and then when you hit the brakes, the centre of pressure, the aero centre of pressure moves, and that's because this flat happens. So then this is how it affects the steering. And you're just like, everybody else should be doing what you're doing. Well, yeah, but that's, I mean, you can't, it's unfair to compare even journalists with a racing driver who knows what happens with aero. Hmm. Um, and that piece, I think, was for Road and Track. Yes. Uh, and you can Google it. It's a fantastic review. But yeah, you know, it, no one takes influence. Well, at least we don't take influencers <laughs> seriously because we're not the kind of people they're trying to influence. No. But um, the, and that, I think the, the shine has gone off inviting influence on launches. But yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. But then with this, you've then got Henry, who is, like you say, he's eloquent. He He's good. But he has the the clarity of thought and probably the editorial brain to kind of step back and go, okay, how am I going to put this into con- some sort of context? And I think the visuals are almost up there. I mean, they're not as iconic, but you remember the first time Jeremy Clarkson drove the aerial atom and his cheeks puffed yes, out? And yes, It's almost that thing that the you see Henry. Yeah, when you see him sort of lean back in there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's You're right. It's that level of performance of of insanity yeah and i i think it was it's one of those cars where i mean they're what 800 grand or something yeah imagine the clarkson review of that if if top gear with the original trio was still a thing imagine (laughs) the the power test of that on the top gear track it would it would be like you remember when he drove the p1 at spa yes and he drove the um what was the lotus t125 yeah the thing they made like two of <laughs> yeah and the caparo and it just all of those all of those sort of massive those cars that redefine <laughs> how you need to drive them yeah I'd, i mean it'd be fun to see but this is a great great video um it is it go is go and watch it go and watch it we always say this with henry stuff but this is so good and the fact yes. is that i don't think anyone else has come out with something as interesting on the McMurtry Spearling as Henry's video. Um, in terms of what video you want to recommend, video and channel for this this one? So I have been watching a, uh, a build series that is from a guy called TJ Hunt. And we're all about here at the Auto Movie Podcast, we're all about encouraging new creators that are up and coming. Um, And yes, he has over 2 million subscribers, so I think we are somewhat late to the party. He's built a number of SEMA show cars and just project cars, and he is building a GT3 spec body uh, FAT M4, uh, whatever the 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 the, the walrus faced M4. I, I I've kind of lost the track. Is it? Yeah. Well, anyway, know. anyway. So they're, what they're basically doing is they've bought all the body panels 
for a from BMW Motorsport for a GT4, a GT3 M4. And they're now trying to graph them on, finding just how different a GT3 car is from the uh, from the street car. Um, the videos themselves are kind of baggy. They're like half an hour each. And it's like they spend half an hour like mucking about and fitting like the bonnet on a thing. And you're like, okay. But the one I've recommended is the very first one in the series where they spend $125,000 to buy the body panels for a GT3 car. And they are doing what you and me and all the car people listening would do, is they're unpacking it and going, look at this. Oh, my God. Look how well this fits together. Look at the finish on that. What's that? Oh, that's a bit of the diffuser. And it's, it's like Christmas, but they're unwrapping a jigsaw puzzle one piece at a time. And each time they're just like holding up this exalted bit of carbon fibre that BMW have beautifully finished. And now they're going to cut up because it doesn't fit onto a road car. Um, They're up to the point where I think it's now running. They've got the arches on. They're trying to... uh, The GT3 car, the front end is about six inches longer than the street car. So the bonnet doesn't fit. Mm. But my God, like seeing how much they're having to hack off the streetcar and how much they're having to, having to hack the race panels apart to make it fit. GT3 cars, you know, forget like the 996 GT3 where it's a basically a homologation car. I'm now appreciating just how different. I mean, they're almost becoming space frame racers. They are. They are. You know, the, the Porsche 992R is or well, has been since possibly the 991.2 evolution is a yeah. mid-engine car you know the engine is in front of the rear the rear yeah. wheels almost um ferrari's 296 gt3 car is by all accounts pretty much an lmp3 car that did, happens to have 296 bodywork draped over the top headlights. of it um did yeah, you the, see did you see fricadelli replacing the rear end no so basically they got puncture it damaged the rear bodywork they undid like four clasps the whole rear section, lights, wing, arches, diffuser, exhaust, all comes off in one piece. They then have an assembled rear end ready to go on, and they just mated it back up to the car. So, I mean, you, you know that that thing will have been unbelievably expensive, like more expensive even than the million pound 992R, GT3R mm. car. But also, you know that someone's been watching how Audi used to work Oh, Back God, in the, yeah, you know, yeah. the LMP, LMP1 days where that's how they used to service their cars. If something broke, you rip, you, you, that's how LMPs work. You take off an entire nose. If you want to change the aero platform, just whip off the nose that's got the current aero configuration <laughs> on it and put one on that you've adjusted it to a new one during Absolutely. your pit stop. I mean, it's amazing, but they're not GT3 cars anymore. They're just prototypes. They really are. Um, um, speaking of uh, speaking of the Nürburgring 24 hours, as we were earlier, my channel has to be the official N24 Total Energy um, channel because they've killed it this weekend, not only with the, the 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 world feed, not only with the live sessions, but the evening after the race, they had a John Hindoff narrated highlights package. They had a lovely video today, which was kind of mood highlights of the event, just shots from race you know, a grid formation through to the end. 
no narration, just stuff that was happening. And it beautifully shot, well edited, quickly edited. And, you know, we talk about F1 having having the ability to, um, you know, of how much they've upped their game. For one event, because this, I don't think this carries like the NES uh, races or anything like that. They've put so much money and so much effort in. Yeah. And I think it's very, very impressive. The coverage this year was the best, the best coverage I've seen. It's been fantastic. And I think, you know, they were saying that I think the camping was all full, the, t- the tickets were all sold out. Yeah. I, you know, I really hope this is going to be a launch pad for a, I mean, you, know, you a could get, profile. you could get onboards of like the top 20 cars almost. Mm. You could ride on board with a, like a pile of cars just as a feed. So you could have picture in picture. I did, at least I had, you know, a couple of onboards running and then the main feed as well. It was exceptional. Um, for my video and channel, I'm going to shoot something that was was online this morning and then vanished this afternoon for some reasons unknown. So up until the time of recording, there was the full race of the 2005 um, San Marino Grand Prix at Imola. On the Formula One channel, they placed the full race up there because... The Imola Grand Prix this year, or the the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix, was unable to take place because of the dreadful flooding that's happened in the region. Mm. And so I think Formula One went, well, there was a great race in Imola in 2005 that everyone talks about where Fernando Alonso held back a charging Michael Schumacher in the wonderful sort of 2005 V10 era. Um, and I rewatched that race and went, yes, I... It was a good race for the time. Well, it was a fun race for the time. And and we, there was a lot of controversy around ITV cutting away to uh, oh. breaks in the UK. But I went to go and check on it just before we came on air. And that video has now disappeared. <laughs> it's been taken down. How bizarre. I don't know whether it's a rights thing or if it was up for a few. So if you have the Formula One TV subscription that we've talked about in the past, then you can watch it. Otherwise, maybe just pop onto the um, Formula One channel and there's Fernando Alonso talking about that race. Um, and for my channel, I'm going to go just go and look at some best motoring. Like I saw, you know, that, that Formula One, sorry, that McLaren F1 video uh, that I talked about earlier on then sent me down a best motoring rabbit hole where I found the video of them racing like two, no, three, like three 911s and F40 and an F50 on what looked like straight pipes and a GTR and something else. And just watching the F50 make mincemeat of everything else whilst being so loud that no matter what car you're in, you can hear the F50. Um, it's always oh. been my favourite of that kind of crazy supercar thing. I've always loved it far more than the F40 and that video just cemented my love for it. So yeah, also, go look at some best motoring. Uh, definitely watch the F51. Also, if you ever look at the best motoring, just imagine a production meeting where somebody goes and says, we're going to have a battle. What are we going to have? Uh, well, we've got an F1, right? And I know somebody with a Supra, right? <laughs> what about what about a 993 Porsche? And just imagine that... The, uh, uh, Oh, oh, okay, okay. Just go and book the track, film it. It'll be fine. But that's that shows you what the F1 was there. There wasn't really anything they could have put it up against. I, I don't oh, know how true. many EB110s were made and certainly how many were available for someone in Japan to, to bring on to a best motoring test. What else do you put it up against? XJ220, again, were they enough of them around? Did anyone in Japan have one? It almost didn't matter what they brought there. To, to you know, the, the F1 was going to smoke it. So... 
Uh, or, yes, crazy, also, but... Also, you have to remember, so there's one here. Sorry, we're cutting off to a tangent. There's a Suzuka battle. F50, F40, F355, Diablo 911 Turbo, GT2, GT3. You have to remember this That's is the a one time I'm talking about. That's yeah, the one I'm talking about. Where the F40 was probably worth three times what a 355 was. Yeah. You know, F40s used to be, what, 100? You are never going to see an F40 and an F50 being rinsed like they are on this circuit, <laughs> let alone, you know, a Diablo being pushed like this in anger. I just... What's most impressive is that there's a, a 992... No, sorry, a 993 GT2 that holds its own for quite a lot of the race, despite being you know significantly cheaper and down on power on both of the two supercars there. Um, but anyway, we've we've rabbited on for a very long time. <laughs> uh, so I think it is probably time to call curtains on episode 60 of the Automovie Podcast. Uh, if you would be so kind as to share the pod, if you've enjoyed it, tell your friends about it, leave us a review on your repository of choice uh, that would be really really helpful and just tell us what you enjoyed whether there's a film you'd like us to cover that isn't quite as stupid as fast <laughs> there are plenty to choose from there's got to be at least one or two out there that are slightly less crazy um and i think in the meantime we're going to go off and find out a way of retconning reality so that we can bring paul walker back from the dead and have really good fast movies again Yes, none of you realise Jason Momoa has been just off mic the whole time we've been recording. <laughs> cool, alright. Have good ones. We'll see you in the next one. Until next time, everyone. Bye.